Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Very good. Is everybody awake this morning? Yes? No? All right, well, I'm going to put you to the test. All right, see how smart you are, whatever. All right, I have a few riddles for you this morning. So you can work with the person next to you if you need to brainstorm together. That is totally okay. And for my students that were at the lock-in, maybe you know the answer to some of these. Maybe you remember. If so, don't ruin it for your parents. Let's see how smart they are. (laughs) All right, so here is our first rule. I want you to see if you can figure it out, and then I'll ask you guys to share with me what your answer is. Okay, so don't yell it out right off the bat. All right, our first one. Um, We'll start with something easy. How do you make the number seven even without using addition, subtraction, multiplication, or division? How do you make the number seven even without using multiplication, division, addition, or subtraction? All right, what's the answer? How do you do it? You take out the S, and then you're left with even. All right, all right, very good, very good. That was an easy one. That was just to get us started, exactly. How you feeling? Okay. (laughs) Here we go. Here's our next one. Name three consecutive days without using the words Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Saturday. Name three consecutive days without using the words Monday, Wednesday, uh, Friday, or Sunday. What is it? Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. All right, very good. Good job. You guys are doing great. We're great on the curve. You guys are doing awesome. All right, all right, all right. Um, Let's see here. A seven-letter word that contains thousands of letters. Ooh. A seven-letter word that contains thousands of letters. What is it? What's the answer? A mailbox. Oh, very good. All right, I got, I got one more. What is a five-letter word that you make shorter by adding an E-R on the end of it? What is a five-letter word that you can make shorter by putting the E-R on the end of it? Short. Very good. (laughs) Maybe we should have started that one. All right, so how smart are you? Are you clever? Would you label yourself as being wise? (laughs) After those questions, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, I don't know about you, but I remember when I was 13 years old or so, I had an opportunity to walk through a construction site. You see, when I was about 13 years old, uh, my brother and my dad, they decided to rebuild a house. They tore it down to the foundation. They took everything away, and they started from scratch building a brand new house. 
And it was amazing when they got the floor in and they put the studs up for the walls. And they didn't have the drywall yet. You know what the studs are, those two-by-fours that are in the middle of the walls that gives your, your walls the strength and the, that they need to be able to stand and to carry the roof and every, the way the roof and everything like that. Even with just the two-by-four framing up, I could still walk through the house and I could still figure out, okay, this is a bedroom. Here's a hallway. Here's a, obviously, this must be a closet. You could begin to visualize and see how the house is going to look, even though just the framing was up so far. But one thing I didn't learn about until much later was not just the importance of having a good uh, two-by-four framing up there to hold the roof and the drywall and everything else that you need to have a house to be a house, but before that, there needed to be some foundation work that needed to be done. They had to have the footings that were put in place. In some of our houses here in northern Illinois, we have basements. And that's the foundation that our houses are built on. But if you don't have a, a basement, you probably never really think about what's under your house. I mean, maybe you just think that there's a slab of concrete down there. But did you know that for your house to be safe, for it to have a solid foundation, it is actually built on footings? which is actually concrete that has to go down into the dirt, at least 12 inches into undisturbed uh, ground, so it can be dug up and then repacked down, and it also has to go below the frost line. Does anybody know how far the frost line goes down here in northern Illinois? About 42 inches. So the footings for the house, we're talking about going down almost five feet, four and a half to five feet. That is pretty amazing. And we have learned that we have to do that. Otherwise, the foundation that our house is built on will sink, will shift, and will cause damage to your house as time goes by, as storms come. <sighs> Sherm came up to me today. He's like, Brian, I don't know what happened, but somebody put toys up on the stage for you this morning. Uh, I, I did that. Um, have you guys ever played the game Kerplunk before? Yes. Um, Kerplunk is one of those games that creates chaos. And those are the types of games that my Kids Hope kid loves to play. Um, I do Kids Hope every week at Carlson School, and we get together and we talk, and I help him out with some things going on in his class, and we talk about his life, and of course we play some games. And of the games that he picks to play, he picks games like this. Ones that are chaotic, ones that are loud. He loves to play Jenga, you know, where you pull a block out and you put another one on top until it comes crashing down, and then it's bam, and there's this explosion of uh, pieces of wood flying all over the place. I feel real bad for the teacher who's in the classroom next door every time we're there. Uh, we try to keep it down, but sometimes we just get a little excited. He also loves that game, you know, where you twist the timer on it and you have all these different shaped pieces that you have to get into the right spot and you have 60 seconds. And when the timer lets, uh, uh, gets to zero, what's it do? It shoots them all up in the air. Yeah, he loves that game. And this is a game that is similar to like that, where it, it causes a lot of confusion, and can make a lot of noise. But if you are a person who feels like, you know what, your life is pretty good, you have it all together, you have it all under control, then if life was a giant game of kerplunk, you'd be winning. Because the idea is to keep all the balls in here contained in the cylinder. And let's say that the balls in here represent things that 
are important to us, our priorities, things that we have some responsibility for. You know, like, you know, as adults, maybe, you know, having some food in the refrigerator. Or maybe having just a place to have a bed at, okay? So our, our house. Um, maybe um, some of our other responsibilities would be our relationship with um, a spouse or our parent, our other parent, our in-laws, um, our job, our boss, our coworker. Oh, we got to make sure that, that car is working so we can get back and forth. And I mean, literally, I could sit here and we can name all the responsibilities and things that we have to hold together as adults. And I would fill this thing to the top and it would be overflowing. And there are times in my life where, quite honestly, I feel like my, ga my game of kerplunk over here. I feel like I kind of have it all corralled. Until life throws me a curveball. Have you had a curveball thrown at you in your life? Where things that you thought you had under control start to shift a little bit. And maybe your handle on everything becomes a little precarious and we start to get a little nervous. We start to wonder about our security, our certainty. We start to wonder about how we're going to handle all this. It could come about because of a difficult conversation you had to have with mom and dad or a sibling. It could be because things at work are getting very difficult. It could be because um, inflation is getting high or maybe your job had cutbacks and your job is uncertain. It could be that maybe now you're living on a fixed income and you're not quite sure how you're going to handle everything. It could be because you have an unexpected breakdown of a car and you have now a $2,000 repair bill. Ching, last week. <laughs> Uh, we have things that come along, and all of a sudden, our hold on things starts to get nervous. And sure, we can handle a little bit of uncertainty. We can handle a surprise here and there, and things shift. But what happens when all of a sudden, all of these surprises, all of these unexpected things of life, they start to take their toll? Maybe you're dealing with some health issues as you're trying to carry down a job, as you're taking care of a loved one, how many things can we hold on to and deal with and weather until some of the things that we were holding on to start to get out of our control? How do we deal with life when it becomes more precarious and more and more uncertain? When we were kids and we had to deal with difficulties in life, you know, like being hungry or being tired or having to go somewhere where we don't know people, our moms and dads, they had ways to quiet us down. They'd give us a pacifier, right? Or for like my girls, they would have a special blankie, pink, silky, you know, the backside of the little baby blankets are real silky that you run through your fingers. They love those. It was surefire ways to calm down us as when we were, when we were kids, when we were de dealing with difficult and scary circumstances. How do we handle those as adults, though? Because quite honestly, I don't see any of you walking around with a binky in your purse. I don't see any of you guys walking around with your blankie. 
or your favorite stuffed animal, what was it that you had when you were growing up? But the fact is, is as adults, today when we deal with uncertainties, we still have our coping mechanisms, don't we? Our things that we fall back to. Maybe it's some routines that you, that you thrive, that you hold on to. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe your routine is when you're dealing with stress is maybe you stress eat. Maybe chocolate's your thing. Maybe it's cleaning the house or trying to gain control over one area of your life as some other area falls in disarray. But we still love security. We still try to find something that we can fall back on that is trustworthy, that that will give us the confidence that everything is going to be okay. So now you're thinking, okay, Brian, I'm a little confused. We did riddles. You talked about construction project, talking about a game with your kids. Oh, kid, what in the world are you talking about? And if you're confused in my teaching, I must be in good company because sometimes when Jesus taught, the people he was talking to was confused as well. I like that. Takes a little pressure off me. Jesus, often when he taught, he would teach using stories. He would use parables, a way to try to communicate some really important principle in a very clear and understandable way, some way that would connect with his audience. And today we're going to look at one of the parables that he, that he shared with them. And if you do me a favor, please grab a Bible, either from the pew or one that you brought with you, or open up the Bible app on your phone and flip to the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's one of the first books that, talks, uh, that shares with us the things that happen in Jesus' life while he's here on earth. We get to see what he does, what he says, the miracles, a lot of the miracles that he performs. And as we're reading through Matthew chapter 7 here, and we're, like I said, we're going to look at a parable. I want you to be thinking of some questions as we're reading this parable together. First question is this. What are some things that I'm confused about? So what are some things that I don't understand? Second thing I want you to think about is, what is this parable all about? And then the third thing is, what is it that Jesus is trying to teach us? What is the spiritual teaching that he's trying to convey? Did everybody find Matthew chapter 7? Matthew chapter 7, we're going to go to verse 24. We're going to go towards the end of that chapter, okay? Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and when the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice And uh, they are like the foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. All right, I'm willing to bet that probably the vast majority of you in here have heard this parable once before. Maybe you've even, even read it before. Maybe you even sang a song about it 
when you were a kid once upon a time before. And I know that as we have heard this song, we, our minds, sometimes they run. We think about, well, the wise builder, Jesus, we often want to say, well, that wise builder, they knew how to build the house because they were the master craftsmen. They were the ones who had the experience. But Jesus is really clear. The reason why the man who was the wise builder built upon his house upon the rock is because he knew what he was supposed to do. It was the, the logical choice. It was supposed to be built on a firm foundation. And he drives that home by saying that the, the one who is the wise builder is the one who hears these words of mine. He has the head knowledge. He has heard it before. And now they put it into practice. That's what makes them wise. And on the flip side, the person who built their house on the sand didn't do so because they were ignorant. Not because they didn't know, because Jesus says that the wise built, or the foolish builder was the one who built their house on the sand. And that person is the person who hears these words of mine and doesn't use them, does not put them into practice. It's like somebody knowing that you should build your house somewhere secure, but you know what? The sand is on the beach. I like the view. Maybe the person's thinking, yeah, you know what, I, I'm, I know putting on the rock would be better. That would be a better foundation, but this is where I'm at. Or this will be fine because we've had years of no storms. It's going to be okay. Maybe they're a little arrogant. Jesus is saying the foolish builder is the person who, who has heard my words but chooses not to follow them because they think they know better. Maybe it's inconvenient. Maybe it's hard. Maybe we have years of history to try to, of, of old habits to try to undo and to go against in order to do what Jesus says. When Jesus is talking about a wise builder and a foolish builder, a wise person and a, and, and a foolish person, he's not talking about who's clever and who can figure out good riddles. He's not talking about somebody who can figure out the, the deepest and the most mysterious parts of what it means to uh, understand God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and our faith. And it simply comes down to hearing and doing. That's the difference between being the wise person or the foolish person. I find it also really interesting here that Jesus doesn't say, hey, you build your life, you, you build your house on a rock, and if you put it in the right spot, there'll be no storms. There'll be this magic dome that will go over you, and you'll be protected. That's not Jesus' illustration. That is not his parable. He is saying that when you build on the rock, you will be able to weather the storms. And you and I, we could sit here and we could talk about the storms that have happened within our lives, can't we? I could grab this microphone and for the next three hours, we could walk around and I could talk to each and every person and have you share with me a couple of storms that has rocked your world, that has made you question, that has made you question what's going on in life, that has made you wonder how you're going to survive today, let alone this week or this next year. We have all been through some storms. And Jesus is letting us know that that is going to happen. 
to each and every one of us. The question is, is what happens when they come? The thing is, is this is not the first time that Jesus, or that the people have heard that they need to have a strong foundation. That they need to rely upon God's instructions for our, our lives. As a matter of fact, in Psalms chapter 89, verses uh, 1 and 2, we read here about God's enduring love, his steadfast love for us, and how it is something that we can follow forever. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses tells the people that, hey, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and, uh, and with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, uh, when you're walking along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them to your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. He's talking about us talking about these teachings and ingraining them into our lives. This is not something new, but Jesus is trying to find a very creative way to let people know that, hey, it is simply not good enough to say, I am a child of God, that I am a follower of Jesus. You need to follow the instructions. We need to follow the instructions that he gives us. That is what makes us wise. That is what gives us a life that will be able to handle the storms when they come, because they will come. It will give us the ability to deal with life when it feels like things are falling out of control, like our giant game of kerplunk. What are the teachings that Jesus is talking about? You guys still got to have your Bible open up to, the, uh, to Matthew there, Matthew chapter 7. This last section of verses right here, at the end of chapter 7, is the end of what's known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has gathered together and he has done this extended teaching. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 are all things that he talked about to these people. He gave them some really important instructions for life. Matthew chapter 5 at the beginning is the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are you when you endure all types of persecution because of me. He goes on and he talks about how we should uh, uh, knock, seek, and ask. He goes on and talks about how we should store up treasures in heaven. How we should not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. He goes on and it is an amazing amount of life altering things that he talks about and how we should be loving our enemies. He teaches us how to pray in these three chapters of Lona, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He talks about what we know as the golden rule. And he gets done talking about all these things, and then he says, by the way, there's this wise builder and this foolish builder. And the wise builder endures the storms of life because they have built their lives on the foundation of what I've just shared with you, these teachings of mine. Not just hears these words, but puts them into practice. And the foolish person is the one who's going to hear what I just got done saying and walk away and say, it might be fine for other people, but I'm okay. My life is good. I know better. My sermon here this morning isn't deep. 
I'm not taking you on a journey through dozens of scriptures here this morning. I wanted to focus on one thing. That if you are a follower of Jesus, it is simply not enough to believe in him, but Jesus called us to follow him, to take his commands, his instructions, and put them into practice. What does that look like for you this week? If you're not spending time in God's word on a regular basis, let me encourage you to do that this week. Let me give you this challenge. We've already been in the book of Matthew. Read the Sermon on the Mount. If, if you were able to understand the few verses that we went through here this morning, you can understand the rest of them from, these, from this chapter, for these chapters. I guarantee it. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Ask those questions. Why did Jesus say this? What do I find confusing? What spiritual thing is God trying to teach me in this? And then start to put them into practice. If, you're, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you are not one of his followers, let me encourage you today to see what Jesus is calling you to. He is, not, he is not making a promise that everything is going to be rainbows from the day that you give your life over to him. We're going to have plenty of things to celebrate in life. Yesterday was a crazy day. I mean, we got to celebrate some births here to our church. We got to have some weddings. We got to have graduations that took place. We have cause for celebration on a regular basis. We also know that throughout life that there are storms. And God promises to be there with us, and he gives us a path through it. So what is your life built on? At this time, I want to uh, invite the worship team to come forward. Um, my transition is not as smooth as Sherm, so I'm going to go ahead and invite them forward right now. And as they're coming up, I would like to ask you, who do you identify with? The wise builder? Maybe you didn't score so well on our quiz at the beginning. Maybe you couldn't figure out all the riddles. That's okay. Jesus is pretty clear on what it means to follow him. We don't have to go to seminary to be of Christ's follower. We simply need to declare who Jesus is as a son of God and devote ourselves to studying his words and doing our best to put them into practice. If that's a decision you want to make today, I encourage you to talk to me or to Sherm at the end of service. Maybe you're somebody who's like, you know what, I've given my, Christ, my life to Christ a long time ago, but I really haven't put much effort into following his words. I take what I get on Sunday morning and that's there. Maybe today you need to make the commitment for the next five, seven days. I'm going to read through the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to let God speak to me through his word to challenge me in my life. If that's a decision you need to make, I encourage you to make that decision. Maybe you want to come up and talk to me about that, some of the things that you've been struggling with. I'd love to talk to you about that, pray with you. The decision here right now is for everybody. Let's think about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, and we are so thankful that uh, the path to you the, uh, um, has been made clear. 
Um, you have made it very easy for us to approach you, to come to you, to accept your gift of grace to our lives. You have done all the work, and we are so grateful for that. But Father, we do not want to be complacent in our love for you. We do not want to take uh, this life that you have given us for granted. We want to build our lives upon your foundation, upon your instructions for our lives. Father, take what we have heard today and help it, help it, uh, use it to challenge us as we move forward. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.